The Ringers Nora Princiati and Nathan Hubbard are on a journey breaking down every single Taylor Swift album. For all you Swifties out there, this is the podcast for you. From her most famous moments to her most obscure references, every single album, Taylor Swift has it all. Check it out on the Ringer Dish feed, on Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Welcome to Jam Session. I'm Juliette Littman. I'm Amanda Dobbins. Feels like a holiday. It's a pop culture holiday. We've got, this was like the best pop culture weekend I can recall, definitely since the pandemic began. I mean, what a time between Taylor Swift and Adele just like storming back into our lives. I I woke up in a great mood. I had a a late night of, of consuming culture. I had to get through succession, obviously. And I'm just feeling great. What about you? It's delightful. It is really targeted to our interests as mid to late something 30 year old uh, women who have followed both of these pop stars for a long time. But I really I was saying to you, I heard from most of the people in my life in one way or another this weekend about one of these two things. This Mm -hmm. is, I guess, what it feels like when the center of pop culture is tailored to your interests as opposed to, you know, it being about like superheroes or whatever all of the time. So I really enjoyed it. It was lovely to chat with my friends about (laughs) things that I'm interested in. Like, this is what all the fuss is about, I guess. It's also such an incredible contrast. Like, it's such a rich text taken together between the red Taylor's version rollout and the Adele um, special with Oprah on Sunday night last night. And um, obviously, we'll talk about each individually, but... And I and I I feel like often 
in culture and in life, it's like, well, don't pit two women against each other. I would just say this is a really interesting comparison. And like, just off the bat, they're both great. They're both absolute stars. They're both iconic. They're both generational and they're doing something really different. And it's really interesting. Yeah. It's a classic compare contrast AP English essay situation about different approaches to being a pop star right now, to fame, to interacting with your audience, to even like the type of music and how you relate to the music and how you mature as a pop star over time, because these are both two artists who we have known since they were 19 or 20. And in fact, like red was released. Well, she's turning 22, I guess, according to the song, but I think most of the songs are written when Taylor Swift was 20, 21, obviously Adele 19 and 21 are the, the, albums that catapulted her to fame and certainly to fame in Juliet's heart, um, (laughs) mine as well. So to watch them evolve over time and how they're managing that, which is a a tricky obstacle for any pop star is fascinating. Yeah. And Amanda, I feel like this is under the radar, but I know that you're a major all too well head. Like you, I know that's your favorite Taylor Swift song. I know that you went to see the red show and like twice I I like in New Jersey twice. Yeah. Like I feel like this is, um, this is like lost to the hand to the to the something of time. What's the idiom? Lost to the what of time? That that I'm a huge all too well fan. Yeah. yeah so but like, what's the what's the idiom? Can uh, you just lost, tell me? Lost to the something of sands of time? I don't know. Say, I don't know. Yeah. I, I know what yeah, you're cause saying. Because sands time. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So anyway. Um, how are you feeling? 10 minute all too well. What are your thoughts? Well, should we just get into it? Do you want to start with Adele? Do you want to start with Taylor Swift? Do you want to start with... I think we start with Taylor Swift because she really owned Saturday and I think Adele is really owning Sunday. You you want to go chronologically. Yes. But I also will just say like for me, I'm curious for you Mm -hmm. how much this has made it across your transom, but the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City was so explosive and wonderful last (laughs) night too that like it's just like an incredible melange of culture. Like I was like this is... Last night I was on the couch and I was just like teary listening to Adele. I'd already recorded my Real Housewives podcast. I was like, this is my Super Bowl. Might not get better than this. Yeah. (laughs) My content Super Bowl. Um, On that note, we have so much content. So if you love Taylor Swift, if you are mildly interested in Taylor Swift, check out every single album with Nora Princiati and Nathan Hubbard. It's now its own feed. So search for it on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. They went really deep on the red re-release. I listened to it yesterday. It's great fun, great insight, a lot of really interesting and unique um, perspectives for the Swifties out there. And like I said, if you're interested in the Real House of Salt Lake City, me and Callie and Rachel did a special episode that is now live on that feed. So check it out. All right. On to the content. Um, Taylor Swift's Red, which is, I think, generally acknowledged as like the best album, top to bottom. Yes. I think there are some sort of like music nerds. That's such a rude way to talk about Chris Ryan, who we love. Chris Ryan of the Watch and Ringer podcast. We love you. But like the music critic adjacent people will make a case for 1989. Right. um, Sonically. And, you know, I like 1989. It's what she's doing. Interesting. But I think Red is the peak of her country to pop crossover stardom. I think it's the most popular kind of widest reaching. and most beloved album. And, and, yeah. and also that's, that's true for me personally. It's my favorite of the albums. I have like very vivid sense memories of like where I was like physically in space, but also in my life when that was released. And I think a lot of people really do, um, have a similar relationship to it. Also, I would say the first eight songs, it's like a pretty miraculous eight song run, which yes, is not always the case for 
like all albums, but especially Taylor Swift albums, you know, you have the, the hits and then you have some deep cuts and you have some real misses all mixed in, but you can just put on red and let it rock for a full 30 minutes. No problem. Right. It's great. It's really great. I had kind of forgotten about some of the songs, but, um, I knew you were trouble. Yeah. This is one of my favorite Taylor Swift songs. So I was happy to have it. Also, Nathan and Nora initially panned it, but now they're on board. I love everything has changed with Ed Sheeran. It's like one of my favorite Ed Sheeran songs. Did- so I, <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> I was with Nathan and Nora originally. And I thought that that was one of the interesting ones on red that sort of reveals a lot about the project because, and, and Nathan and Nora, I know get way more into this and we don't have to, to be nitty gritty about it, but obviously in addition to kind of like the production, like tweaks and updates that they're doing throughout this album. And also the fact that like Taylor's voice is matured. Um, and it's, you know, and it's like higher in the mix and all this stuff. But I think I also just have like come to understand and appreciate Ed Sheeran more since that song was released. Like I, I vividly remember I was such a Taylor Swift fan that I legit went to jingle ball as like an adult. Um, and like made friends with the tiny one direction, uh, teen fans that were there. <laughs> and, 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 and I went because Taylor Swift was the headliner. I sort of went in like a journalistic professional capacity, but I also went cause just, I wanted to see it. And, sh- but Ed Sheeran was like the second headliner and she had him come out. And I was like outraged that Ed Sheeran was sharing the stage with Taylor Swift. I didn't want to give my time to him, but now sure. Now, 10 years later, I can kind of appreciate it and can, and so I do like that song more, but it's interesting, right? Like revisiting these, what she's finding in them and also what you and a listener are finding in them that you didn't at the time, in addition to kind of all of the actual production updates, Sure, I would say. Yeah. I, I, I'm not a music expert, but I would say like, I, I would say on now the two re-releases to me, the biggest difference is the percussive mm-hmm. elements are so much, um, more noticeable, I guess, for lack of a better term. And she sounds better. I actually, it's funny you mentioned One Direction. I really wish they would re-record some of their songs because their voices, like, you know, they're like in the middle of puberty for yeah. like their some of their first songs. It's just like and Harry and Niall in particular are so much better now. I just wish they would re-record and, some of those. And voices but. do mature to like yeah. to, you know, to an extent. I also just the, the red in particular, it just like sounds more expensive, you know, which yeah. like, it's just like she's just she has access to the best studio and all these. And it is interesting when um people suddenly get, you know, really dialed into like the really fancy stuff. And I'm, I'm no audiophile at all, but I was like, Oh, okay. I understand. Yeah. This is kicked it up. Yeah, a this is what happens when you got a lot of money. And also she's probably just so much better at all aspects of production. Totally. So there's that. Too. And I think what's interesting, especially as you get into all of the, like the, the songs that didn't make it onto the original red, kind of like the, the vault tunes, the vault tunes. Thank you. Um, Listening to those production choices, which do have a lot more of 1989 and kind of later Taylor Swift um, yes. percussion and trip, but just which which makes a lot of sense because it's a product of everything she's been doing for the last ten years, which is and right. I think that's cool. I've always loved Better Man. Mm-hmm. By always loved, I mean ever since my deep dive on Little Big Town about eighteen months ago. Okay, so can I, was I tell excited? you something really honest about that? I didn't sure. remember that Better Man was a Taylor Swift song and I saw it on social media before I listened to the album and I really thought I was getting a Pearl Jam cover and I was so excited and then it was not oh, a Pearl Jam cover. I'm so sorry. And I was really disappointed. <laughs> well, you're not really, why would you remember that? You're not a big, you're not a little big town fan. Yeah. I mean, you didn't go on that journey with me, which I don't know why you would have. So no problem. Um, that was really good. I mean, 
Chris Stapleton is like the world's best feature for like basically anything. Um, can't wait to hear what he does with the Dell in a few days. Uh, that song's pretty good. Um, it's it's all fun. And I think that we just need to now go to the heart of the matter, which is the 10 minute all too well and the Jake Gyllenhaal of it. Yeah. Of it all. Yeah. Because man, is it something? First of all, what do you think is Jake Gyllenhaal's reaction to his three month relationship with Taylor Swift 10 years ago being catapulted back into the online discourse and if you in one article on page six <laughs> when he is pretty notoriously press averse. Like he only really does it on his own terms when he really has to like for promoting movies. He's not, he recently did something, but it was like for style thing. He's just not a major. He clearly loves, loves his craft. Right. I mean, that's the thing. Which it's, I, it's- I say to be obnoxious on purpose, but he doesn't, he doesn't love being like, you know, a, a kind of a Hollywood heavyweight. And I think his career choices reflect that. So what do you, what do you think his reaction is? Well, I hope that someone prepared him. And she I- said on Fallon that she did not care about her ex's responses. So I don't know if she was just saying that, but that's the that's her public stance. I didn't mean Taylor Swift. I meant I hope that someone <laughs> in his life, you know, he's had almost 10 years. He's had nine years of living in this shadow and has managed to keep just making weird movies and also some good ones and being very good. I think you describing him as someone who cares about his craft. Um, and, you know, there's a bit of theater kid in him and a bit of kind of like fake snooty artist in him that I think. Can I share an anecdote on yes, that note? Go ahead. I may have shared it before. I was once at a theater kid party. I was there with one of my camp friends, Becky. And we saw Jake Gyllenhaal, who went to my camp, Camp Paul Whitman. I've mentioned it. I haven't mentioned it on this podcast in a while, so it's about time. As everyone who went there, it loves it. Like, honestly, it's like a cult. Like, it's like just people fucking love that camp because it is the best. Maggie Gyllenhaal also went. She, too, loved it. Jake famously did not love it. Okay. Nevertheless, we went up to him and we asked to take a picture, like a camp all women picture. And he, he said no. Yeah. He was just like, no, because then other people will ask to take pictures. Yeah. <laughs> and I just feel like that sums it up. He was, like, totally nice about it, but he was just like, no, I don't want to. Yeah. And I feel like that that sort of speaks to the kind of fame that he wants to have. So I think that he's probably not thrilled about it, but I'm hoping that he is at least prepared for it because um, you just need to know that when Red is being re-released, that some of this is going to happen. And I also hope he has someone in his life. Um, Zach was making jokes about how if Jake Gyllenhaal was his friend, he would have spent all weekend just calling him up and like blasting the 10 minute version of all too well, just like via FaceTime, you know, like in a, in a loving jokey way, just to be like, isn't this ridiculous? But like, does Jake Gyllenhaal have people in his life who are willing to do that and make it okay for him? I don't know. I hope so. Who are his friends? Who are his famous friends? I don't really know. So I don't either. But, but like, that sister? doesn't mean that he doesn't have friends, you know, I like, I also am not going to totally judge someone for not like having their like squad on parade at every sure, opening, you know, like I'm, he could have friends. I, do they have the, t- are, is it that type of friendship where they can make a joke out like of this? Him? Yeah. I, I, I don't know whether he can be lighthearted about it. Um, I, I also just hope he's not spending that much time on the internet, you know? There was for, for all of the fun that I had consuming this content and texting with my friends and kind of dipping in just some other people were just very busy. I was sent a screenshot from Dumois about like the location of the scarf 
and like authenticating the location of the star. And I was just like, okay, some people should go outside. Allegedly, the scarf has made it back to Taylor Swift. Okay. Someone said, per Dumois, she or he, I assume it's a she who runs the account based on her voice, but I don't know. Um, Dumois posted that she'd gotten a DM that someone had the scarf mm-hmm. and wanted to return it to Taylor Swift. I have to assume it's not a Gyllenhaal because I assume the Gyllenhaals would have other ways of getting in touch with Taylor Swift. So a, a third party came into possession of this famous scarf. Let me give you my conspiracy theory on this. Okay. Is that all of that Dumois content was tipped off by someone who is in some capacity working for Maggie Gyllenhaal's publicist because mm-hmm. Maggie Gyllenhaal directed her first film, The Lost Daughter, which has been getting rave reviews and it's going to be in the awards conversation. And Maggie Gyllenhaal does not want to be asked about whether she has a scarf for the next three to six That's a months great theory. while she's campaigning for an Oscar. So you can like trace it back however you want, but someone somewhere related to Maggie Gyllenhaal's awards campaign submitted all of that to Dumois. And you know what? That's fine. That's really funny. If so, that's awesome. I love it. That's, that's I was also thinking, genuinely amusing. Could that have something from Taylor's camp too? She, you know, very carefully curates it. However, I don't see her wanting to engage with Dumois in any way. So I just feel like she seems kind of like she'd be averse to that. But I don't know. I th- but the, the point is, Dumois uh, like allegedly facilitated connecting Taylor Swift camp with the whoever was in possession of the scarf. Um, one thing I learned over the weekend, which I never knew before, that I, maybe Callie told me this, someone did, that at the time, the scarf was also supposed to be like a metaphor for Taylor Swift's virginity, which I don't know if that's true, but I really hope I did not. I really hope there wasn't a conversation 10 years ago like about Taylor Swift's virginity like that. And if there was, I'm glad I missed it. I gotta say, I was pretty deep in the blog minds the first time around. Like, I was mm-hmm. there reading the liner notes, decoding maple latte. I mean, it's just where I was in my professional and personal life. And I don't remember a lot of people yelling okay, about her virginity. Good. I, I do think... As the as time has gone on, you know, and people revisit things and have deeper readings, and also as the whole, you know, shadow TikTok fan culture emerges, a lot of things get projected onto it. I could be wrong, and 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 maybe there are far um, more accomplished literary scholars who were <laughs> writing those dissertations at the time. I hope not. It's I don't gross. remember it. Like as you know. Being the the Main Street Taylor Swift sure. liner note person back then, I don't remember it being dominant. Okay, good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, let's move on to the next phase of this, which is then she appeared on Saturday Night Live. Oh, first of all, she had this, the short film come out on Friday yeah, night. Yeah, well, hold on. Let's talk Sorry. about All Too Well, the 10-minute version. Let's talk sure. about it. Sure. I didn't I didn't like it that much on first listen. I was like, this is too long. I like the fr- And also, it was too Jack, Jack Antonoffy. I was like, I prefer the... Um, the piano, like the piano and like all of the arrangement from the original. Yeah. It's objectively bad. The 10 minute version. I, that's what I have to say about it. But, and and that is just like as a song. And I say that with so much love and affection. Is anyone else saying that? I ha- I'm glad to hear you say that. Cause I was like, this is not good. This is, there's a reason why they cut it down. I'm so glad to hear you say no, that. There are like a ton of people just being like, Oh my God, this is the perfect Taylor Swift. And I, I'm so in awe of what Taylor Swift has done in terms of just re 
conquering the pop culture space with an album that she released nine years ago. I mean, this is like a masterclass. Absolutely. Reheating old content. This is an epic, epic career move. I cannot believe that she's pulling this off. It is really impressive. It's incredible. And I really admire it. I really admire I it. I even artistically think that listening to, you know, all of the re-release of Red and hearing her engage with her old work and kind of what she's changing and what she's tweaking and even how it sounds coming from a 32-year-old voice as opposed to a 21 or 22-year-old voice is fascinating and really interesting. I'm super into the project. And I also, just in terms of her releasing a 10-minute version of this song with absolutely like brutally petty additional lyrics about Jake Gyllenhaal and just going full in on this whole phenomenon is transcendent. I like I I support her so much. It's it's funny, it's entertaining. I love everything that's happening. Song itself is not good. The the 10-minute version is not. And that doesn't that's fine because you know what is good is editing. And what happened is is that she wrote most of this. I'd like to come back to how much was written in 2011-12 versus mm. written now. Right. But she had an original version and then she with Liz Rose, the the co-writer edit it down into what I think is like a perfect song. And yeah. the original is, is my favorite. So I'm obviously biased in terms of people trying to update a perfect song, but that's good. Editing's good. Like that making choices, cutting things down to quote, to quote my friend, Jared Freed, we write to edit. Yeah. It's great. It's Editing like, is, is what we do. Spending time trying to make something better and more focused. I'm all for it across all art forms. So, you know how we stand up, how we feel about long movies here. Yeah, exactly. This is what I'm saying. <laughs> this is why I basically don't like TV. I'm just like, guys, let's make some choices here. But so, so it's fine that the 10 version is objectively not good, but like, whoa, like I, it just keeps going. What's happening? The outro is like two minutes. Oh it's God. way too, it's like, it could be eight minutes and it would still be like really too long. Um, I did not watch the quote unquote short film, but I did watch her performance on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And um, I don't think I've ever watched a pop star embody triumph more than she did for those 10 minutes at SNL. And I, I, again, I think the song is too long, but performed live, like it should only be performed live and she should have started, maybe she shouldn't have, I don't know. But like, it's a great piece of her, of her um, arsenal now. And to defy all of the rules set by Saturday Night Live over more than 40 years and to come back with like just wearing an all black outfit with her very straightforward red lipstick to be strumming her guitar while also doing some of like the red in 1989 era arm dance moves with a pretty spare set. And she basically managed to marry so many of her signatures in a way that didn't create conflict. Like you had the sort of like the the field woodsy vibe of the leaves on the floor. That's like more recent. You had her, her kind of, um, uh, Sandy from Greece final scene look from the, from previous years. <laughs> True. And she had a pretty spare band with her. I just thought it was like, I, the only word I can think of is triumphant. I thought it was such an amazing, amazing performance. And I don't think she's a great performer. I thought that her, her imperfect vocals were beautiful. I thought that like the, the humanity of it was really impressive. And she looked like she was having a fucking good time. And I, I loved it. It was just, I found it thrilling. I'm so glad you had that experience. <laughs> I agree with, 
I just, you got to hand it to her. Like, it is incredible that she was just like, hey, SNL, give me 10 minutes to do a 10, like a new version of this song that's been out for a decade. And they were like, yeah, sure. And she could do whatever she wanted. She had the short film. She had the leaves coming down. Sound on SNL, notoriously bad. I, once we got to some of the, the, the flexible relationship to this key that the song was being sung in, I just, (laughs) I had to close it down personally, but that's okay. That says nothing that's, it happens to the best of us. You know, me again, also live singing just makes me uh, very uncomfortable unless someone's in total control, which will be a theme later in this podcast. I was about to say, it's such a perfect comparison point with Adele because it's just a totally different kind of performance where the the vocal quality is like so secondary to everything else that's going on. Yeah. But at the same time, and, and as you know, I'm like an absolute vocal purist, like for unknown reasons. I don't even know why, but I just, I found her, um, her like power and her joy so exciting. I mean, this is my personal pandemic theme is like people being, jo- people exhibiting joy is like, is like the most moving thing I can think of these days. And that's been true for like almost the last two years. And I don't know. I just was like so excited. Also, she clearly put so much work into it. I think it's kind of, it's sort of similar to how I feel about Beyonce where it's like, we know so much work goes into this. And so to nail it, I really, really respect it. Yeah. I, I, I am so impressed by just the amount of work and strategy also and forward thinking that it takes to make something like this happen that I'm just like amazing. Like congratulations. Even if I couldn't make it through the 10 minute SNL performance, because that's just not my particular aesthetic cup of tea. I am totally supportive. Can we talk for a second about what was written in, you know, back then versus what's new? Yeah. I mean, obviously Taylor Swift was not contemplating the patriarchy in 2010. Right. And as our friend Phoebe pointed out to me this weekend, you know, fuck the patriarchy is obviously not a new sentiment, but were people no. like merchandising it and selling keychains in 2012? No. Some questions about that timeline. Also, how can you know that the girlfriends stay the same age? Right. At, you know, within the the time. So that's an interesting one. The the anecdote about like the sipping coffee like a talk show guest. Mm-hmm. I do think is contemporaneous because it uses the word self-effacing, which as many people have pointed out, you know, that's like the therapy speak that Taylor Swift is using at the time. See also stay, stay, say, um, self-indulgent takers, which is like my Mm. favorite. Like, I just think that's the funniest thing that's ever happened. It makes me laugh every single time. So I think that we have a mix here. Also, like, as you pointed out, that last coda is so raw that 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 seems like kind of like first draft spilling everything out onto the paper. And then I think there was some editing and tweaking and adding in for this new version, which I'm okay with. I don't like, I'm not like a, you know, an originalist. I'm not an originalist in any sense. Let's be very clear. You're not the Antonin Scalia. No, of I'm, abs- I'm absolutely not. <laughs> um, or of, you know, the constitution itself, but you know, I just, it's interesting, but I, I do think there was some tweaking and some adding in. On the, on the flip side, there were two moments. I'm very bad at lyrics. I don't completely remember, but there was two moments where I was like, she definitely wrote these a while ago and perhaps should have updated it. <laughs> One was like when she's, you know, thinking about him makes her want to die. Like she like really emphasizes die. Yeah. I was just like, that is some real 20 year old shit. Yes. I, re- I remember. Um, and the other one was, Oh, shoot. I can't remember. But there was a couple of just very like 
I think she said like hell at some point, and I was just like, this is very like old school Taylor Swift, right? Doesn't want to doesn't want to curse. So it was it was a funny collision of like old and old and new. I feel like she, you know, I'm sure not all artists want to like revisit their earlier years, but I, I think for someone who increasingly is like a technical savant, I mean, she obviously, obviously always was a songwriting savant, mm-hmm. but her, like the sort of uh, the music aspects of it seem to have really just of her work being it seemed to have like just improved so greatly over the last 10 years. Um, it's pretty cool. It's like, it's like for an athlete, like if a point guard was able to like go back to one of their first games and like replay it like all the things they would see differently and then like all the things they would do differently but would probably just be like so so gratifying for them and so i imagine this has to be just like such a, a thrill totally but plus she's still you know producing other new music um rumor is there's like a new album coming early next year or, or like as soon as possible who knows yeah and i think you can feel that energy and that that creative enthusiasm throughout their project which is really cool and she's always been like a like kind of like a super nerdy enthusiastic you know person but to be able to channel that back in into her music and like to watch her kind of navigate it it's really exciting it's to me like again to an athlete comparison you know athletes are sometimes not the the best interviews but then when you start asking them about like the actual you know whatever play or strategy that they had and they just like really come alive, you know, and it's so because like people who are just really supremely gifted at something actually talking about the thing they're so psyched about or is, is, is really engaging at least to me. Totally. So it's, yeah, absolutely. It's cool to see this in this project. And you know, just everyone she surrounded herself with this whole weekend. First of all, just, I don't want to dwell on this because I didn't watch the whole thing and I also don't care. But the music video that Blake Lively directed for I Bet You Think About Me stars Miles Teller and his wife, who his name is um, Kelly, I believe. Super weird. I don't understand how that happened, but I, I presume we'll find out about some friendship in the days to come. I'm sure. just like, do they talk about Aaron Rodgers? Like, do they like what? What did they? I don't get is it. Is this so post confused. Hawaii? Like, so weird. So, so weird. Also, like the only thing we've been talking about with Miles Teller for the last year is like negative stuff, like him getting jumped in a hotel bathroom, him getting COVID because not vaccinated him. I don't know. Like, I just want to say it's been like a great time for Miles Teller. So I'm really surprised Taylor Swift wanted to associate with his brand. But you did. You did forget the video from Hawaii of him taking over from the restaurant musician to sing Wagon Wheel. That's so, true. Or is it Aaron Rodgers singing it and he's doing percussion? I think his I think Kelly Teller um photo, uh, captured all this, but also from that trip, I believe they're singing Taylor Swift in the kitchen of the house they were singing right. in, if you recall. Yes. So maybe so maybe that was it. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. 
With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, Get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. We talked it through. Anyway, that was super weird. But I've just been thinking about like in comparison with Adele because there's so much to parse there and I have so many thoughts and feelings. But one of the most overwhelming pieces of the Adele special was who was in the audience? Who she handpicked to be there? I kept a running list. Okay. And it was it was genuinely shocking. It's like, it starts off, you're like, okay, Lizzo, totally makes sense. Of course, Lizzo, the every woman, but better of pop music, loves Adele. We all love Adele. We love her music. And then it's just like, it rises and rises and rises. And it's like fucking Leonardo DiCaprio and Drake. And the the Drake at the like 90 minute reveal because Drake is psyched that she's playing Rolling in the Deep was wonderful. Drake loved Rolling in the Deep. Oh my God. And so, you know, we kind of went from this Taylor Swift. It's almost like Taylor Swift's project as you, as she calls it and you've called it, I think very aptly felt like decoupage on steroids. It sort of was like a hand, a hand worn mm-hmm. event where it's like all came out of like the long fingers of Taylor Swift and into our ears and onto our screens. Meanwhile, this Adele display was like pure glamour. And the only people who were allowed to be there were the people she picked, most of whom she's met, she said, and therefore mostly her celebrity friends that she's been hanging out with for the last three years in her Beverly Hills enclave. She's wearing this dramatic, stunning, uh, like architectural dress that was like a wet dream of Project Runway. She's wearing these ridiculous Saturn earrings that are pulling her earlobes in a way that every woman who has pierced ears, who's worn two heavy earrings can relate to. She is, looks like she somehow improved upon the aesthetic of Megan and Harry special with Oprah to have it at Oprah's house. Yeah. They mat they match their, um, their, their whites. And she gives these perfect vocal performances and reveals so little about herself. The only things I think we really learned is from what she omitted and how she presented things. And it could not have been a more opposite side of the coin than what we got from Taylor Swift. It was honestly like stunning. I I just like, I'm almost overwhelmed by the comparison of the two. 
And they're so, and I, one of the reasons I was like excited and also comfortable with comparing them is they just couldn't be more different. It's like, it's so weird. It, and also like, I don't want to Taylor Swift very horribly um, co-opted the city of New York and her song, welcome to New York. But I will say I did feel like a coastal difference between like whatever Taylor Swift's East coast vibes are and whatever Adele's adopted California vibes are. Yeah. And I think that's acute to me having recently moved back to the East coast. Anyway, I was just blown away. That's my opening salvo. Amanda, what did you think? The one shared characteristic is control, right? That these are like very deliberate, meticulously, um, orchestrated events in their own way. And I think you're totally right that the Adele is the, I'm sorry, that the Taylor Swift is like the personal intimate, um, telling you a secret friend homespun thing. And Adele's was literally at the Griffith observatory with the Hollywood sign looming in the, in the background. I'm like, not, not making it up. There were, there were beautiful cinematic shots. It was, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. It was so perfect that it almost felt like a Hitchcock movie that you were like waiting for a murder to happen. It was like, (laughs) I was like, where's the death? (laughs) And they timed like it was at dusk. And so you got these amazing sunset and they had all of like the drone shots of just like all of Los Angeles spread out below her. And, you know, like the Griffith Observatory is like probably my favorite building in Los Angeles, which is not a unique thought, but it's like, it was so glorious and everything was kind of like old glamour, Hollywood, like mega mainstream, like open big tent for, for everybody, which you know who called to mind for me. Yeah. Barbra Streisand. Yes. I was just like, this is what Barbra Streisand would have done at any time in the last 40 years. Yes. And I'm sure that was intentional. Yeah. Um, so it, and just, and the scale of it was also so amazing. And, and I, I think especially just cause we've all become so used to being in like small rooms and small houses and, and or apartments. And this was just like a giant outdoor stage, like, and it was as if she was singing to the entire city of Los Angeles. Um, which I did wonder, like if you were down in Griffith park, like what could you hear and how could you hear it because of the echoes though? I'm sure that they closed the, um, I, they closed Griffith Park somehow for this recording. Yeah, they must have. But yeah, so that was the concert half. And then I'm glad you brought up the Oprah half, which... <laughs> the Oprah half was odd. We'll come back to the concert part, but let's talk about the Oprah stuff I first. mean, it was boring, quite frankly. Yeah, it was boring. I, I, and I, I like Adele so much, and Adele is just has a great personality, and I like hearing her talk. And even as she was doing some of the... What you've pointed out and get, again and again has become like like fairly familiar, conventional, vague therapy speak that is a part of celebrity interviews now um, that it just, she sells it very well. I mean, she's engaging, but I didn't walk away with a huge understanding. It's not even, I know exactly what happened and I don't mean to diminish what happened, but Mm -hmm. it like, I don't know. I think I got the point pretty early on. And it was like Adele and Oprah trading Oprah-isms to each other for a while. Let me also just say, I love Oprah. Oprah's Rose Garden, magnificent. Oh, the tea house? You I'd know? love to see that. Amazing. Um, I thought it was interesting watching Oprah work, uh, watching Oprah cook, because compared, you know, we just got Megan and Harry. What month was that in? May? I think, no, that was like February, I think. It was? Jesus. Time flies. You're probably right. Um, anyway. Yeah. Or maybe it came out in March, but I think it was recorded in February. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Man, this time this year has flown by. Anyway. Um, 
Oprah was working hard. She wasn't getting a lot. And so like you heard Oprah speak probably more than Oprah wanted you to because she had to keep like trying to like extract things out of Adele. Probably didn't help. They had just met that day. But I thought it was really interesting the way that like you really saw Oprah kind of like being a journalist in a way. And whereas like Megan and Harry were so ready to just like spill to her that that she didn't have to do much except kind of like keep them on the path and like ask follow-ups. Whereas with Adele, it was much more like asking a series of questions and like the ones that she had like, you know, put in her memory bank to make sure in case it got awkward. And I, I just thought Adele is only willing to talk about her divorce because um, I would guess part of it is because it gets ahead of a lot of questions people will ask once they hear the music. And because it's obviously a narrative, she's been considering a lot for herself and for her son. And she just doesn't, she doesn't share anything particularly personal and she doesn't want more questions to be asked. And I thought that that was sort of really fascinating. Um, I think, you know, the most interesting part of the interview is when she talked about her weight loss because she was, in a way, defiant in that conversation. Um, and something that was just really fascinating is to me was hearing Oprah frame it, her own experience who, you know, Oprah very famously is the long running weight watchers. Now WW spokeswoman who also her weight's gone up and down. And I think that to me was like, so interesting that just sort of hearing Oprah relate to her, because first of all, Oprah doesn't often try to relate. I mean, she's got a tea house for God's sakes. (laughs) So I thought that was really fascinating. And to see Adele defiant in that moment, kind of, this is confirmation bias, but I have, I have like, you know, felt that she's sort of resentful of some of the responses to her music, um, particularly the songs that are really popular that maybe she doesn't love, um, namely someone like you. And so I thought it was pretty interesting to see um, her sort of like clearly rejecting or like preemptively rejecting a narrative, essentially. Yeah. To me, the most interesting part was the the brief conversation about her father and her relationship mm-hmm. with her father and how she was working through some of that because that seemed the least processed if that makes any sense which I, I and I don't mean to I mean that sounds so like craven when I'm like well I just wanted like Adele to like fall apart in front of the cameras which is not it at all but And she'd clearly thought through a lot of those issues, but that was maybe like the most specific, I think part of my, not frustration, but kind of just like inability to really invest in the interview was this sort of top line, you know, my journey needed to work on myself, the really sort of unspecific stuff. And I I mean, again, if you just want to talk about good writing, good writing is so often in the specifics. And I thought that not only was she able to like, you know, name some things in that conversation, but you really could see the emotion in a way that you couldn't in some of the other stuff because it was so guarded. And again, it's a fine line, right? Because you don't want, I'm not like, I don't need Adele to disembowel herself emotionally for me. Um, I thought another really interesting thing that she said was talking about the difference between when she's communicating by a song and when she's communicating while speaking. And she's like, when I sing, it comes from someplace else. And she's like, even I see it and I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. So that's there. And, and, and I think that's really true. And I think that's just a testament like to her, like singular ability. So, yeah. And I think that's the crux of who she is and wants to be as a celebrity. And it's really clear versus Taylor Swift was like, Adele foregrounds the music, which I find really refreshing, right? Like she agreed to do an interview 
interspliced with her music. And for her, the the music is on it is like sort of um it, it says it all. And it's almost like she doesn't really want to answer ever anything else because there's or address anything else because like she's just like we'll refer you to the tunes. And so she's given some context, but I thought that sort of like duality that she was acknowledging between like who she is as a performer or what she says as a performer versus what she says as a, as a individual or, you know, as Adele Adkins or whatever was really, really fascinating and just really speaks to like everything that all the choice, professional choices she's made to, you know, highlight the music at all costs to not do anything. She, to not do anything that would resemble a modern pop show, like to not do, you know, she doesn't have dancers. She never has. Even before she was the mega star, she was just like sitting on um, a, sta- like a stool usually and just like taking it all in. So I-, I thought that was really interesting too. But again, I feel like all the stuff that we're responding to here, except for the dad stuff, which, which I agreed with, it seemed like she had developed a language for that essentially where she was like, had a way, she had a lexicon to, to pull on um, to discuss it, but she doesn't really want to be famous. I think that's sort of like the central conflict of Adele at 30 is that I think she, (laughs) I say this with absolutely no shade because I, I totally think I would be the same way. I think she loves being rich. I think she loves her lifestyle. I think that she loves having a, you know, three home little Warren, not so little in Beverly Hills. She clearly loves celebrities. Look at who she invited to this event. You know, it's like, very different than Taylor Swift who like makes a big show of like, Oh, my fans get to come to this screening. We found them because they're like super fans or whatever. But I don't think that Adele really wants to like, Oh, strangers, anything. Like, I don't think she wants to have to explain what she eats every day. I don't think she wants to have to explain so much. And she wants the music to do the talking. And, and I think that what makes her so, so singular is that she is so talented with such an incredible gift for, emoting through music that she doesn't have to do a lot of the other stuff. Well, I, I, I think you're right that she doesn't want to do a lot of the other stuff, but you know, I, when the Oprah stuff got a little boring for me, I was sitting there and I was kind of thinking about like why she put this special together the way that she did and why she did this. And I think it's because at this moment in time, even Adele can't just like release music with nothing around it. And like, the music can't speak for itself any more in the way that I think most artists, especially musicians would like their work to speak for itself. Right. You just, you have to have a marketing campaign around it. You have to have all of this fanfare. I mean, that in a lot of ways is what's so amazing and what explains so much of Taylor Swift's success is that she's got everyone in, in a frenzy about all these things. And she can even work people into a frenzy about things that are almost a decade old. But so, you know, Adele is like a a smart, incredibly successful person. And I think you're right. She still wants to be successful. So she knows she's got to do something, but it's what she's building around the music and how she wants to present it, um, is, is, I think, to me, at least I was like, okay, you would really rather not be doing, you know, like a tell all. And you really don't want people to have unlimited access to you, which like fair me either. I, I would feel the same way. And so she did construct a special ultimately where it was Adele just in the grandest space ever, like singing her songs. And it's a testament to her and really her voice and presence that that can fully carry a special it's funny. Like, I, I think you're totally right. And I think 
her frustration probably is that she can't just like release the album and go away. It is a real testament to her. I, I think I think you're totally right. I think it's just also sort of like one of the reasons I first started to like love Adele was she felt so relatable. And I think the funny thing is, and like this is definitely borne out by many of the housewives who've cycled in and out of the show. Being rich and being successful doesn't necessarily make you interesting. And like Adele, and so like Taylor Swift has mythologized herself, right? And like that has resulted in a lot of content. Adele has not mythologized herself in the same way. Like she obviously there's lore around her exes, but she, her lyrics are so much more filled with um, like, like universal themes and universal ideas, which is why I think it's like so powerful. And I, I find her, her music like incredibly powerful. I was like crying just as she's singing, make you feel my love to the engaged couples. So it was so beautiful. And she clearly like had a lot of fun in that moment, right? Like having her music, score someone's major life moment clearly is a thrill for her. You know, previously she like showed up at that concert in disguise and started singing. Like she really likes using her voice to enhance people's lives. And I, my life is so enhanced by it. So I'm really grateful. Um, but it's just such a different display of celebrity. And in some ways it's such a more obvious display of celebrity. I really can't get over like who was in the crowd. And of course it wasn't all like her personal friends, but the first person they showed Jam session favorite, Misha Nunu. And I was just like, oh my God, we're in for an evening. And then you get Seth Rogen. And then there's a trio of Boyfriend Rich Paul, Ava DuVernay, and Gail King. And then there's Gabrielle Union and Dwayne Wade. There's James Corden, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, Donald Glover, Selena Gomez, Ellen, Tyler Perry, Nicole Richie, Melissa McCarthy, Drake, Leo, like on and on. And it's like, this is the Oscars, which was fitting because yeah. Skyfall was fucking awesome when she sang it. Oh my God. I'm um, so, I've never been happier. I turned it was so, the, so good. I turned the volume up so loud. I wonder if our neighbors heard it because I was just like, this must be played at top volume. But that was also like the Hollywood, like cinematic. Yeah. I was just like, yes, go for it. Um, the Leo shot was. A quarter of a second long. Only man in a mask. Yeah. in Which, like, incredible. He also did that at the U.S. Open, you know, while the two Bradleys were just, like, out in full display. And Leo's, like, hiding in the corner. But I love that he's out there. I love that he's, like, super underdressed to every occasion, but just wants to be there. Um, Melissa McCarthy was really moved by the proposal that you mentioned. She was sitting next to Ashley. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, that was like, and handed her some champagne. And I think that was like a, that would be a good person after like, frankly, the deeply traumatic event of being blindfolded and, uh, having noise canceling headphones put on you and being led through Griffith park, which just guys, FYI is like, it's, there's like, it's like a murder again, that's a murder plot. It's a nature (laughs) preserve. And then you're like unveiled and there are cameras everywhere and it's basically the Oscars. I kept being like, do you think, is she mad that she's underdressed? She's not, she wasn't underdressed. She looked great and she handled it beautifully. I mean, like the, I've been your girlfriend for so long was like incredibly funny. They picked someone who like could emote appropriately yeah. and also handle it. But I'm like, I, I mean, I just never do that to me, you know, ever in any circumstance, it would be really overwhelming. But then sitting next to Melissa McCarthy, she seems like the right person to, kind of guide her back into it in, into into regular life it it was it was really something i mean it was just like i think of all the reality shows that i've watched over the last like 15 years where like they one they have a theme episode where it's like someone's having a party and the theme is hollywood glamour it's like <laughs> adele sees your hollywood glamour party and raises you actual hollywood glamour it was it was breathtaking it was such a throwback 
I don't know. It was wild. I, I find like, I think that she's just sort of really, really talented and she's not, she's not going to mythologize for us. We just have to like, I, I have to accept it. That said, I'm excited about the songs. Hold on. The last song she performed, I really loved. I listened to it several times on YouTube today. Um, and that made me feel good about the album. And I don't know. I, I think if, if Adele's choice is to be a classy, elegant icon, who am I to disagree? Yeah. The, the last song was almost like, uh, like an old standard, you know, yeah. that Adele was, which definitely fit with the theme of the night, which is just like a great entertainer, like at a residency at the Griffith observatory instead of Vegas, like just singing her songs. And I just got to say when she starts singing, it's, it's overwhelming. So powerful. So so I'm like, fine. Don't, you know, I didn't really need the Oprah interview. I hope you guys are friends now, but that is what held it all together. You know, she's just so amazing. It would have been way more interesting for her to just do a full concert and like have her vamp and talk as she, cause she's clearly more, more comfortable kind of like in costume and her costume is these beautiful black gowns with incredible right. makeup that she's, you know, she's had like just unbelievable makeup for years now. I think her, I'm not usually one who likes a people going more blonde. I think she looks stunning with this blonde hair. I also really liked that over the course of the evening, the tendrils in the front of her face got less perfect. And I was like, we've all been there. It's very yeah. relatable. It still looks amazing. Open air, you know, yeah. unpredictable elements. And again, it gets kind of dewy sometimes at night up there. Um, I don't know. I, I just, I would have preferred just Adele playing Adele, the performer versus like this inside, like a supposed inside look into her life. Like, I don't, if she doesn't want to do that, like, why are we like, why are we like, why is she even attempting? Probably someone told her she had to, I maybe, maybe I think so. And And I think the answer is that I was like Googling for a list of celebrities in the audience this morning and all of the additional blog content about like Adele said this about her weight loss and Adele said this about her divorce and Adele, you know, it's, it's for the content it's for however many weeks of stuff around it to remind people about the album, which, you know, that's, that's how the sausage gets made, I guess. But it was funny, you know, so I'm, it was on CBS. So CBS does not air West coast and East coast simultaneously. So I met at Dobbins had to stay up past my bedtime um, in order to watch all of this live. And I kept being like, you know what, at some point, like when she does rolling in the deep, like, like I love rolling in the deep, but I can fast forward, you know, like I'm, I'm going to, at some point I'm just going to like listen to the new songs and what she says on Oprah. And then I'll go to bed. I gotta tell you, as soon as she starts singing a song, I'm not fast forwarding. Like, you know, my husband went to bed and then heard someone like you starting and like came back into the room. It's the most beautiful song. It's, I mean, it's it so unbelievable. Moving. It's so good. It is like painful how good it is. It She's magnetic. Like, yeah. So you don't walk away from it. You don't fast forward. Um, and that's, you know, I think that's why even if the interview is not like particularly revealing, it's fine because she's Adele and she can kind of coast on that like miraculous voice and people were just really wanting like to be near it. It is like a once in a generation sort of sort of gift. There's no one else like her, which is not to say she's like the best ever, although you can make the case, but she's just so she's just so unique. I can't imagine this is not a playbook. That's the thing about both her, her and Taylor Swift. And I was actually, as we were just talking, I was thinking this is also true for Beyonce and Rihanna. There's no playbook for what those four women right. have done and are doing. First of all, they're all on completely unique paths from each other, which is really cool. Um, 
And moreover, they make bold decisions repeatedly that you're just like surprised work, but that's like being a visionary. And I actually do think it's like kind of like uh, astonishing to be at the point in our lives that we are for those four yeah. performers, entertainers, entrepreneurs, whatever. Like, I, I, you know, they're all of them. It's like, it's like pretty amazing. And I, and I think that just like talking about the way Taylor Swift commands a moment and how she harnesses her power versus how Adele does it is like such an awesome way to frame pop culture. Like so frequently on this podcast, I feel like we're like disgusted by like what we're talking about and like so fueled by like, we don't want to hear about this anymore. But like, it has just been such a thrill for the last 48 hours to think about these two women and their work and like how they're, you know, charting a path forward with, you know, their various collaborators and whatnot. But I I, like, I genuinely am like so elated by this moment. It is an incredible joy. I agree. And you said for all four pop stars that you mentioned, there's no playbook, which is a hundred percent true because they're all like once in a generation talents, but there is a lot of hard work. And that's the other thing that's so gratifying about all of these people that they have like completely unique, irreplaceable like talents, but then also like a lot of thought, a lot of attention, a lot of work into, you know, making these spectacles happen. And I appreciate not that you can always see the work, but it's just, these are it's so much ambition and like, uh, and I really appreciate it. People are just out here like trying, um, to make things great for our investment. And I just, I appreciate it. I do too. I do too. On that note, don't forget to check out every single album with Nathan and Nora for more Taylor. They also will be covering Adele starting, uh, with 30 releasing on Friday. Can't wait for that. Um, and thanks so much for listening. Hope you're enjoying Taylor and Adele like we are. Have a great week. And lastly, thank you to Erica Cervantes for producing this episode. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.